You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Continuing our draft week draft week coverage, we are joined by somebody that I think I have compiled every possible conceivable uh, introduction for, and all I have left to say is if we were in Game of Thrones, she would deserve the Iron Throne. From Buccaneers.com, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Carmen Vitali. Carmen, how you doing? Oh, I'm real comfy on this Iron Throne, I have to say. It's much more comfortable than I expected it to be. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very long fight for probably the most uncomfortable chair of all time. True. It's got swords on it. There's no way that that's comfortable to sit on for a long period of time, but it's the principle. That's that is true. But we're going to get into Game of Thrones talk a little bit later. Right now, <laughs> we are going to continue our our draft week coverage. And the first question that I have for you, when David said that he had he had talked to you, you were coming on, and the first thing that popped in my head was what differences, if any, have you noticed leading up to the draft between this year and your time with the Bucks last year leading up to the draft? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that I really notice a ton of differences. Um, you know, I think that from the coaching side, obviously Bruce Arians and Jason Light have an extended a relationship that extends back further than what um, Dirk Cutter and Jason Light's relationship was. But I don't think that they necessarily work together all that differently. Um, it's all for, you know, one common goal. The coaching staff is very involved in uh, – in what Jason Light and his staff are doing and they're collaborating and communicating, making sure that, you know, Jason knows what these coaches need. And that really isn't any different than, you know, how he operated with coach cutter um, from, you know, what, what my vantage point was, obviously I don't, I don't know the intricacies of their relationship. Like I don't know the intricacies of the relationship between BA and Jason, but um, you know, it's, it's an all hands on deck kind of effort. And uh, it's, there's there's almost like this calm before the storm right now where nobody's scrambling. Like, I, I think that that's kind of a common misconception that, you know, people are super busy. Like, the personnel staff is super busy leading up to the draft. They've gone through absolutely every scenario that could possibly happen, and they did that weeks ago. So now it's just kind of like this hurry up and wait type deal, and you're just anxious for Thursday night to get here. <laughs> Now, something that that gets discussed a lot, I've had conversations with people and and I'm sure you've seen on on Twitter kind of the the hate towards Jason Light and his draft track record and moves that he's made. And the the argument that I always make is that it's never one particular person that pulls the strings on these things or, or pulls the trigger, so to speak. It's a collective of the head coach, the coordinators, the scouts, everybody is collectively making this decision together, even though one person does have to make the phone call because you can't conference call into the draft. It's everybody in that room that makes this decision together. Is that the right way of looking at it? Or is this a, a situation where 
Bruce can say, hey, I, I like this guy. You know, Byron and, and Todd each throw in their two cents, and, and Jason takes that into account and says, you know what, I think we need to go in this direction instead. Or is it, you know, we're not calling this in until we all agree? No, I think that it is a, a collaborative effort. And, I mean, what I kind of lean more towards, because I just kind of take that as, as fact in that, you know, these guys, Jason Light is not going to tell Bruce Arians that he can coach this guy if Bruce Arians is saying he can't coach this guy or he doesn't fit or whatever. Like, they have their respective strengths. And Bruce knows the system and Jason knows the system, but obviously not as well as a coach would. And, but Jason knows these players and knows their potential a little bit more because he's the one that studied them. He's had, you know, his staff study them. He's been briefed on them more. So I think that everybody has to be on board, you know, especially. And the thing is, it's not a decision that is made in, you know, the amount of time that it that a team is on the clock. Like I said, they've been preparing for every possible scenario um, for weeks. And so every time they come to a conclusion or a decision on what they would do if this happens, everybody is on board, you know, for, from what I've seen, from what I've heard. Uh, what I go more towards is that this is a very inexact science. You could have a guy that, you know, checks all of these boxes. You know, he was this kind of player in this system in college. So you think that's going to translate up at this level. But sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. And it's not, and like anybody could have done any sort of, you know, more preparation or whatever it is. I mean, everybody has misses in this league. And, but then there's a lot of times where you hit on a guy and it's, it's, I feel like the hits are way, way more to be weighted way heavier because of just how inexact, inexact this whole process is. That's a very valid point. We see that uh, time after time. I mean, you see a, a guy get drafted into a team and a system and a scheme and just absolutely blow up on the NFL scene and then leave chasing a whole lot of money that you know was, was well-deserved for the performance they turned in. But when they get to the new team that's paying him all that money, it doesn't pan out usually because of a scheme fit or a coaching fit. Uh, so, so very valid points there, Carmen. But before the Buccaneers get to the draft, before we all get to the draft, there's still business happening at the Advent Health Training Center, and that is the voluntary <laughs> mini camps, which are underway this week. Now, we heard today from Coach Arians and Jameis Winston, but what are you seeing, what are you hearing, and how are you feeling about the players and coaches and about how they're meshing at this point in the process? Um, so far, I mean, you would have thought that these guys had been in this system, I feel like, for a lot longer than they have. I mean, really, especially, this is the first, um, chance that they've had to go offense versus defense. So they've had a lot of classroom time leading up to this point. They've had a lot of kind of drills where the defense is going up against trash cans that are representing the offensive line. Um, but then you put them against each other now, and these guys are executing, and it's and they're and they're kind of they're vibing. There was a lot of you know they were having fun out there. And Jameis said it himself that he, you know, learning a new offense kind of it was really fun for him. He said, and that kind of feels like a, a little kid again. Um, but it's on the offensive side, you know, Jameis has, not only does he have Byron Leftwich as his offensive coordinator who has played in Bruce Arian's system to kind of relay messages and stuff and, you know, tell him how it is. He now has Blaine Gabbard who has also operated in the system and even more recently than Byron has. So you have these guys that have just this invaluable 
knowledge and, you know, can give you, they know exactly what you're going through because they've done it. And that I feel like is just, nobody is talking about that enough or people aren't talking about that enough. I feel like, I mean, when do you ever get that where you have an offensive coordinator that has played in the actual system that you're installing? It's crazy. So Jameis has been having fun. The defense, let me tell you, the defense is, I don't know how anyone has ever done any film study on Todd Bowles' defenses because they don't show tendencies at all. I've watched Jet film, and like I, I'm not, it's not that I'm, you know, a really great evaluator, but, you know, there's so much stuff that happens in his defenses, and every single package has another wrinkle that, you know, it's kind of like it's a baseball kind of thing where, you throw a couple of fastballs, so right down the lane, you think you know what to expect, and then all of a sudden, boom, curve, curveball. And then you go back, and then you keep trying to just – it's this back and forth of tricking the offense into trying to get them to think like they know what's coming next and then just completely switching it on them. And it's so cool to see how some guys are starting to fit in um, and, you know, how they're playing. I mean, they're playing to – this defense is playing to these players' strengths. And so I can't wait for these guys to get pads on for everyone to be here and to really make the stuff go because this defense is so cool. Now, Bruce has been really vocal in his support of, of Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones and, and kind of the running backs as a whole. How have they looked to you so far going through, you know, these, these little mini camps and have you had the opportunity to speak with either of them about the change in the staff and the scheme and, and how they're going to fit in? Um, no, I haven't really had a chance to talk to them, actually. I talked to Peyton briefly today, but not anything substantial. But, I mean, the, the hard part with this is they don't have pads on, so it's not like you can really open up running lanes, like, to a certain right. degree. Like, they're working on a lot of – there's a lot of individual drills that are happening right now, too, within their position group. So there's a lot of pass-catching drills going on and just a lot of, you know, getting these guys back into football shape. Um, and from what I've seen, you know, they look great and there's a lot of, I think that a lot of it is going to depend on the offensive line too. And I, but I also know that the offensive line knows that and the coaches, the offensive line coaches know that, um, you know, the assistant head coach, Harold Goodwin, who is the run game coordinator, he has an offensive line background. So he was working primarily with the offensive line today. Um, as they were doing kind of their individual drills. So, and that's something that he's told me is that, you know, we put everything on us as the offensive line. Like if, if our running game, it sucks right now, it's because we're not opening up lanes. It's because, you know, if something's going wrong in the game, it's because we're not protecting enough or, you know, it starts and ends with those guys. And so I'm really more interested to see how they develop and how they mesh as this process goes on. So another thing from the mini camps today, Coach Arians kind of shrugged off the absence of Gerald McCoy, uh, talking about him being a veteran and kind of knowing how to prepare himself for the season and being more than welcome, you know, whenever he's ready to join the team. But a lot of us, and I'm air quoting, even though you can't see me, um, that being the people outside of the organization aren't buying it. So what what are your thoughts on the situation and and, and either the situation inside the building and then kind of the, the way that people are talking about uh, Gerald McCoy and the Buccaneers outside the situation? I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know what people want other people to say or like what people want the coaches to say. You know, it's it's a voluntary minicamp. So Gerald 
yes, historically he's he's been there, but he's also been in this league for so long. And, you know, he has his own training routine and it's kind of like one of those things where, I don't know, is there a threshold when you get to a certain age or you've been in the league for a certain amount of time that you just kind of go, all right, I need to scale back a little bit because of my body. I want my stamina. I mean, that like we accepted that, like, not, I don't want to say it's an excuse, but we accepted that rationale when it came to like Deshaun Jackson, for instance, like he wasn't at voluntary minicamp, but it was like, oh, he's preparing in his own way. You know, he started doing it like this before and, you know, he produces on the field. So let him do it. And so I think that it's probably more of a symptom of maybe Daryl just getting a little bit older and just knowing his body a little bit better. And I mean, not that like he's taking it easy by any means, any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, he trains with Drew Brees in the offseason every year. So he's surrounding himself with awesome talent as it is. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, it's up to him. And I don't know his exact reasoning. I mean, the coaches might not even know his exact reasoning. But again, it's voluntary. So I don't know that we need to be reading so much into this, that, or the other thing. Um, And also, you know, at the end of the day, if we're being realistic, what are these coaches going to say, even if there is something there? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. And there's there's the phrase coach speak for a reason. And, and. You know, whether whether Gerald's on the team or not, you know, the coaches are going to keep private conversations private. There's only so much you can tell the public. So I'm I'm definitely with you there. But we're going to shift over to the draft a little bit. And you were on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast representing the Buccaneers in kind of their progressive mock draft that they were going to do. And you took Ed Oliver at number five. Sure did. Sure did. Here we go. We're we're going to get into it now. My, <laughs> my argument now through this process, as I said pre pre recording, I'm I'm officially hitching to the Devin White wagon. My my thought process is because of the position scarcity at linebacker outside of Devin White and Devin Bush, you don't have a starting caliber linebacker in this draft. But defensive linemen, you know, whether it's on the edge or on the interior, that's a pretty strong group this year. And you can get a starting caliber guy at the beginning of day two, maybe even trading into the back of day one. So that's that's kind of the way I lean. You you need both go with the instant day one starter at at the one that you can only get that at the beginning of the first round. My question to you because I know you like Devin White too, so I'm not going to put you on the spot there. But my question to you is, how do you feel about this divide that we're seeing on social media and and hearing on podcasts and, and radio and things like that about the linebacker versus defensive line debate that has really just, it's reached its peak now, especially only a, a few days away? Yeah. Um, you know, I said pre-recording that I also think that Devin White is like this extremely polarizing prospect more so than I've seen since I've started working for the team. Um, And there's so many kind of ways to view this. And I'm kind of, you know, on your side where, yes, I think that there, because of the depth at defensive line, you're not going to be hurting for a guy, you know, if you do choose to wait on that or to, to address that need. And I mean, also, it can't, I can't overlook the fact of how, or I can't overlook the impact that an inside linebacker and off the ball linebacker can have in this defense. 
um, it's in a really crucial position. And not only for the talent, you need some, obviously someone that's very talented in there, but you need a leader. So, because he's going to be one of the guys that's helping to command the defense. Whether that's, you know, like at every single level of this defense, you're going to need a communicator, you're going to need a leader, you're going to need someone who's very vocal. And that's something that's been said about Devin White from day one is how much of a leader he is. And he can't, that's not something that you can coach. You know, it's something that you have to, when you see it, you have to grab it. Um, and so I, I know people get hung up on, you know, positional value and all this, you know, the perceived value of these positions and all this other stuff. And I had a Twitter exchange even with a fan who was very adamant about not taking an inside linebacker at five. But I mean, if you look and the, the points I brought up were, if you look back at, you know, drafts in the last couple of years, it's not like those positions that are the highest paid positions are the only ones that are going in the top 10. I mean, I brought the fact, you know, Saquon Barkley went last year at number two. Quentin Nelson went at number six. He's a guard. You know, you had Roquan Smith, who went at eight to the Bears. And then the year before, I think there were three wide receivers that went in the top ten. So you can say that you should only draft those high-profile, you know, positions in in the top ten and leave the rest for – later on but it never happens like that it's totally situational um and and while i think that you should take the best player available um i think that that can change depending on who you already have what your system is i mean the best possible player isn't going to necessarily be the same for everyone that's why people's draft boards are different yeah exactly and and i I like the way you put i I remember seeing that twitter exchange i think uh yeah the you you were you were very good in the way you were interacting with that individual. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I stopped responding after a little bit because then it just kind of started to get a little bit uh, personal. Not personal, but it was just like, all right, there's no there's no convincing you otherwise. So right. I gave up. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so James isn't going to put you on the spot, but I am going to put you on the spot. So uh, Buccaneers.com, you guys, you and Scott specifically have been uh, putting up your draft primer series and it's it's an absolutely amazing series i I love every every single edition of it so far every position group that you guys have done however thank you yeah definitely um however recently scott definitely shook me a little bit because he picked josh allen as his most likely defensive line edge player to end up with the tampa bay buccaneers and Mm -hmm. as our listeners know josh allen out of like the the real top names at the top of this class josh allen is the one i like the least so uh-huh. where I'm going to put you on the spot, though, I want you to order these players for us. Quentin Williams, Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, and Devin White. If you are pinch hitting for Jason Light in the first round of this year's draft, what order are those guys on your big board? Uh, um, <laughs> I'm, really, I'm just really glad I don't have to be the one to make this decision. Let's just yeah. put it that yeah. way. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I will say that Quentin Williams, number one, for sure. Mm-hmm. Just from everything I've heard, he is just, he's an astounding individual. He has all this talent. He did it for a big time program, but he also has, he's just extremely intelligent. He understands the game at a pro level already. And like what he, he won't just be an instant starter. He's going to be like an instant vet uh, from everything that I've heard about this kid. Yeah. So that is, that's so rare to have that sort of, you know, mental grasp of the game to be able to just fit right in 
and be that person. Um, so I, I'm, yeah, okay. Quinnen is number two, or is number one. Number two, ugh, for the Bucks. Are we talking general terms or are we talking the Bucks? Uh, let's go, we're let's talking- go Bucks. That's what we're locked on Bucks. So let's go Bucks. All right, all right. Um, ugh, ugh. I'm really struggling between Ed Oliver and Devin White. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen, we can go that direction. Josh Allen is, is number four. He's the last one on there. Fantastic. I, and not to take away from him. I mean, like, you know, it's hard It's hard to leave the SEC intact. Um, yeah. And I think that especially, you know, I know kind of where Scott is coming from, and it makes a lot of sense, is that in this type of defense, it's more that lends itself more to a kind of a 3-4 scheme. Like, you have these outside linebackers, and Josh Allen fits that outside linebacker role pretty well. Mm-hmm. Totally get that. Um, I just don't know that he's physical enough. Yeah. And to be clear, I mean, I don't think Josh Allen should not be in that top group of names. I just, out of that top group no. of names, he's the one I like the least. So I just want to be clear on that with people. Um, right. Yeah. Correct. And I, like I said, I'm not taking anything away from this guy. I just, I, I, just, I don't, yeah, I like the other guys more. Um, as far as, Oh gosh, I'm probably going. Ugh. Oh, I've got rationale for both ones. Um, okay, so I'll probably, I would probably say Devin White second for the Bucks because of the impact that he can make. Um, like I said, being that leader um, and being there, just like there's just more intangibles there that I think fit in with the Bucks. While I also acknowledge that Ed Oliver is a freak. And I would love him on my team. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've said many times before, you know, he's that disruptor on the interior. He would be a wonderful complement to this defense in that way as well. I just don't know that he would take on the leadership qualities that Devin White would. Um, and also, you know, with the departure of Quan, it's really hard to, you know, replace someone like that um, for a lot of reasons. But I think that Devin White would, be you know kind of maybe the only one that could do it so yeah i'm gonna go quinnon then devin then ed then josh yeah like i agree with that order 100 percent. yep same here glad to know we're all on the same page <laughs> smartest people in the room that's right smartest people so smart no not. i don't know anything <laughs> none of us do <laughs> All right. This is a question that we've asked both of our guests so far in in preparation of the draft. We had J.C. Cornell on Monday. We had Trevor Sykema on Tuesday. So now, Carmen, in all of your draft work, draft prep, who is somebody that you've noticed that nobody is talking about, but you feel that Buccaneers fans should be doing cartwheels down the street if his name is announced as one of their picks this weekend? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know about cartwheels. No. Okay. No, I got someone for you. Um, and now that people aren't necessarily talking about him, but I haven't heard a ton about him, and that's Drew Simia, I believe is how you say his last name. Um, he is a guard and offensive guard, and he, um, I saw him at the Senior Bowl. And the thing is, he's out of Oklahoma, and he hasn't allowed a sack in, like, I think 
I know in 2016 and last season did not allow a sack. I don't know about 2017. There might have been maybe one um, that, you know, using those college stats. Um, but he, I mean, he protected Kyler Murray. And then before that, he protected Baker Mayfield. So I don't, like, if you can protect those guys who are very mobile, they're obviously smaller, you know, they've got good arms. But, like, if you can protect those guys, I feel like you can protect pretty much anybody. Um, so I don't, and I just haven't heard a ton of people talking about him at, you know, at that guard position. And I, granted, I don't think that he's necessarily a first round talent, obviously. Um, cause I, you know, especially at, not so much at guard, but at tackle, there's, there's a sneaky amount of depth there. Um, and there's some guys that are also, that have been centers in college, like Chris Lindstrom and Eric McCoy, you know, they were just, they were centers in college, but I think that they'll be really successful at guard at the next level. Um, but yeah, I haven't heard anybody really talk about him. And I think that he could be a great option at, um, to compete for that right guard spot. So I like him. There's a running back that I really like, uh, out of Temple, which I think that Bruce Arians would like too. <laughs> and his name is Rykel Armstead. And again, he was another kid that I saw at the Senior Bowl. Um, and he Senior Bowl practices, obviously, for it's practices for an all-star game, but it's also, you know, extended job interview. So mm-hmm. it's not like these guys are, like, actually hitting. But, I mean, they're still trying to stand out. And when I tell you that this kid refused to go down, he refused to go down. So he was his running style was just so – I think he would be a great third down back. And he's so tough. He's a little bit undersized, but I don't – you know, I think that you can make up for that, especially, you know, as a running back if you just have sheer willpower – in physicality, which he does. So he was trucking people, man. And I didn't hear anybody talking about him. Yeah, those are those are two good names. Uh, Drew was actually JC's third round pick in his mock draft, I want to say. Oh, there you go. Okay, so um, JC's been talking about him. Sorry, JC. Yeah, you two are the only two that I've, that I've seen. And, I mean, uh, going, going back and looking at him, just once I saw JC's mock draft, I kind of went back and looked at him. Just a little bit, nothing, you know, uh, draft network worthy by any means. But – I mean, he's 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 such a good guard that he made Cody Ford look like a first round tackle, and now people are talking yeah. about moving Cody Ford into guard. So if you want an Oklahoma guard, why not draft the guy who played guard at Oklahoma? Who played guard at Oklahoma exactly? So I yeah, I really like him. Yeah, good 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 names, uh, players that definitely I think Bucks fans should pay attention to. So Carmen, uh, just like yesterday with Trevor, I'm going to cheat on my next question, and it's going to be a voicemail okay. from one of our listeners. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. Let's do it. All right. Hey, what's going on, fellas? It's Donovan from Philly. Um, I I just want to know your thoughts on a couple of things. I'd like to know, you know, every year there's a player that falls to the mid or end or maybe even the second round of the draft. Who is your surprise player this year to fall? And and thanks to the draft, I believe Tampa Bay is going to go with a linebacker because from what I hear and what I keep reading, this this draft is pretty deep or pretty solid when it comes to interior defense alignment. So somebody's going to fall to where Tampa Bay can actually get a solid defensive lineman in the second round. Because you never know. You know, they might package up a next year's third year move forward and maybe this round this year's fifth and move back up into the bottom first or just, you know, or a couple of second round picks. You, you know, you never know because McCoy's going to be there or he's not. But um, that's what I believe. I believe they're gonna go. They they probably gonna get White or Bush, and then get 
a defensive lineman in the second and the they trade back up into it. And like I said, um, let me know who y'all think y'all surprise person would be. I actually think uh, Nick Bosa might fall. I think uh, the Arizona Tarnas is blowing a lot of smoke up people's butts. Main reason why I think, you know, I, uh, Nick Bosa could be a surprise fall, let's just say Arizona goes Quinn. 49 is going to get a lot and a lot of phone calls for that number two pick so somebody can, you know, one of them teams can move up and get Kyler Murray. Um, so if it's chance, he could fall to number three. You never know. It's just, it really comes down to what Arizona Cardinals do. If they take Kyler at – they don't take him, they take Quinn Williams, then San Fran is going to get a lot of phone calls. And if they get a pretty hefty offer, they might take it. And he falls down right to the jet flat. All right, so the Devin White at Oliver conversation has been asked and answered. Uh, Gerald McCoy, we've already talked about. So really what I wanted to hit on this is the the player to fall, the Aaron Rodgers uh, of, of this year's draft. If, you will. <laughs> if there is, I don't know if there's going to be one that dramatic, but yeah, right. if, if there's a guy on the in the draft this year, Carmen, that you can see kind of stumbling down the board even just a little bit, who, who do you think that might be and, and maybe why? Um, so there is our Scott Smith and my final mocks will be up, um, as of Wednesday, cause it's Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. Wednesday. Okay. So it is Wednesday. <laughs> our, our, we did something a little bit different, um, for our final mocks in that Scott and I both did separate ones. Yeah. Um, so you can check it out on bucks.com and we even made the, uh, first 10 live on camera Casey I, I joined uh Scott and Casey for their road to the draft segment um and I got to play with a smart board and it was really fun um <laughs> and it was the only reason I decided I wanted to do it because I wanted to play with smart boards so in my draft though um there's a couple little slides they're mini slides it's not a, it's not a huge slide um but there's mm-hmm. a couple mini slides and one of them is Nick Bosa Um, so Nick Bosa falls to the fourth spot, in fact, um, because I, there, you can, you can go look at the draft. You can go see my mock draft, go, go to my mock draft and you'll see why, but Bosa falls. And I don't know, I have like some hesitation with him that like no one else seems to have. And I'm not smart enough to like have some, like have a concern about someone that nobody else does. So like, I just kind of look at, I mean, Joey Bosa in the league, obviously he's got crazy talent and, you know, their dad had all, you know, was, was very talented too. So, you know, obviously the pedigree's there, but like, they're kind of injury prone. And I'm kind of like, eh, eh, I don't, I don't know that, you know, you want to put all your eggs in that basket um, as far as the pass rusher goes. But I mean, I, again, not to take anything away from Nick Bosa, I really do obviously think that he's a great player. Um, I'm just not entirely sold on him being the consensus, you know, best prospect in this draft. So just on Nick Bosa, I mean, I a hundred percent agree with you. And just as it were, so I have my final mock draft dropping tomorrow, the morning of draft day and Nick Bosa also slides to number four, uh, in my draft. Now I have a feeling that I don't describe my, my, uh, mentality about it near as well as you guys do, because I tend to focus on quick quick hitters in my mock drafts for our for our audience but uh-huh. basically i was talking to james about this before we recorded tonight too some of the some of the exact same things nick bosa has been injured uh I, I heard somebody today much smarter than me about the draft talking about 
you know, the last time they saw Nick Bosa, he was doing this and this and this, these great things and how much younger he was and how in even that small, the sample size, he was just so impressive. And I kind of walked away thinking, yeah, but it was a really small sample size and guys like Quentin Williams, I know he's not being dinged too hard for it, but you have guys out there like Dwayne Haskins, Quentin Williams, who are being dinged for having short spurts of success in college. And they have much longer spurts of success than Nick Bosa does. And then there's the social media stuff, which hasn't really caught fire right now, but it is kind of out there. It is circulating. And in today's world, that's that's an important thing. So I could see – I don't believe Arizona is doing anything but Kyler Murray. I don't care what anybody says. Until it doesn't happen, yeah. to me, Kyler Murray is the guy. So for San Francisco, right. you have options between Quinn Williams, no baggage, leader, successful program, not injury prone, or Nick Bosa. We've already covered it. Who do you pick? Me, if I'm John Lynch, I'm picking the more sure thing. I'm picking Quinn Williams even with Buckner on, on the roster. Um, then you look at the Jets, and obviously they need edge help. Apparently their general manager is absolutely head over heels for Ed Oliver, and even though Nick Bosa is there, I mean, that New York media with that social media history, that is not a good pairing. Uh, so I don't know if that would definitely be a huge factor, but I feel like it's got to be at least a little bit of a factor when you're drafting in New York that who, who you're drafting, how it's going to play in the local media. So I have them taking – at Oliver, I know I'm giving away a lot of my mock draft, James. I'm sorry, but and then <laughs> Nick Bosa falls to four. Now, yeah. what happens after that? You're gonna have to read it to find out. But so I have Nick Bosa again as a little bit of a mini slide uh, as well, and it's Oakland because I think that John Gruden, Mike Mayock, they're not gonna worry about the storm that comes if the social media thing turns into a storm. They're not gonna worry too much about the injury thing. I think they're gonna have faith in their doctors, their coaches, their trainers, and. If this social media thing does swirl up in any way, shape, or form in Oakland, they're leaving in a short period of time. So they don't really have to worry about the long-term ramifications of that. Uh, so that's why I have yeah. both going to four. But you said you had another slide. I, do you want to give that away or I, do you want to make everybody yeah, read it? I, no, I, no, I agree with you on all fronts, actually, and that's um, exactly how I have my top four going, too. Fantastic. Um, for, and I, yeah, I, I, I named a couple different reasons. But, um, but then I also I do have Josh Allen sliding to the Jags. So – um, mm-hmm. that's a, a little bit of a mini slide, you know, to have him out of the top five, top six. I, yeah, yeah I have him. I, he falls that far. So the Jags kind of have to take him. They, they could, you know, they could always be, every team could always use an edge rusher. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. and I don't think that they would ever let him, like he slid that far. They're, you know, they're going to take him and try to get that defense back on track and back to what it was a couple of years ago to take some pressure off the offense. But, um, so yeah, I had Josh Allen, you know, sliding to seven, um, and I had Bosa going to four. So um, I actually, and then this is another aspect to the, the the that's one of the questions actually that we address in both of our mocks is who fell um, out of the first round that was kind of a surprise, um, mm-hmm. and mine was Montez Sweat. I like with, with the medical flags on him, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that there's a lot swirling around that. And with how deep this draft is in defensive linemen and edge rushers, I don't think that you, you know, use your first round pick on a guy that could potentially have a red flag like that when you have a bunch of other options. Um, so I think he's kind of a victim of circumstance in that regard where, you know, it's just a really deep draft for that. So I I don't think that he'll slide out of the second round or anything like that. I think that he'll go in the second round, but I don't see a team necessarily using a first round pick on him anymore. Yeah. I mean that, I mean, if, if it happened, it would be surprising, but it wouldn't be like astonishing. It, it would definitely make a little bit of sense. Everybody would be able to justify it. Uh, it would suck for the kid, but I mean, you know, that's, right. that's when you're, that's the business side of this whole thing. 
um, interesting. So the last spoiler I'm going to give away for my mock draft before James kills me is Josh Allen goes fifth in my mock draft. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Even though he's your last mm. take on <laughs> between mm-hmm. Quinnen and, mm-hmm. and Oliver and Devin White. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, listen, I think that Allen has to be in that conversation. Although I'm assuming that the Bucks aren't trading back in your box. I'm not saying any more information, Carmen. Oh, wow. Cliffhanger. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Um, all right. Well, either way, if it is the Bucks that end up with Josh Allen, I don't think that anyone is upset about that either. So that's all I'll say then because I don't know if that's actually the box that are taking him. Yeah. And that, but you know what, that's something that goes back to what James and Trevor talked about on our episode yesterday is that really, if you look at this, the Buccaneers can't lose really. And in, in what they do, I mean, no right. matter what the Buccaneers are coming out either with a lot of picks to get a lot of impact players or contributors, or they're coming away with a blue chip player that can literally kind of reshape their defense. Uh, so, I mean, really there's no losing in this situation. I agree. And I think that, Jason Light agrees, and I think that Coach Arians agrees. (laughs) Yes. All right. Well, since David cheated on his last question and used a voicemail, I'm going to cheat on my next question and steal one of David's. Um, We have also asked JC and Trevor this week this question, and, of course, want to get your opinion. We've heard Jason Light talk about it. David and I have talked about it, about how there's essentially a trade line where past this point, we we being the Buccaneers, you know, we can't move past here because we don't feel that there is one of those elite level players that we can draft. Is you know, paraphrasing for Jason Light. So David has has marked that line at number nine with the Buffalo Bills. I have marked it around that six seven mark, right in that region, because in my opinion, if you buy back. To Far. Not only are you going to miss out on the opportunity to draft Ed Oliver, um, I believe that the Broncos would try to make a move to jump in front for Devin White if they're not going with quarterbacks. So I feel if you slide back too far, you're losing basically your two main targets. If you are putting yourself back in Jason Light's shoes, where is your trade line that you are no longer comfortable moving pack? past this pick in order to get one of those top level players well in our last mock scott did have us trading down uh into the 13th spot i believe it was but uh when devin white ends up falling and he trades back up to the ninth spot in order to take him um that's an ideal situation because scott got an extra second round pick out of the deal from trading back and then was also still able to trade back up without sacrificing that. And, you know, you still ended up, when all was said and done, you still ended up with an extra second round pick. That is like a fantasy world. Um, and the maneuvering was very impressive, but I don't think that that's realistic. So I don't think that you can wait till nine. Um, and this is my whole thing about taking Devin White at five. I don't trust that he's getting out of the top 10. And I also don't think that you're going to find a trade back partner that's inside the top 10 um, if you want to trade back. So, you know, there's always surprises on draft night. So maybe one of those teams does want to trade up for whatever reason um, and not take a guy that the Bucks would want. Um, but I just don't see that happening. So I don't, 
I really don't know is that I have a line because I just don't think the Bucks should trade back. Okay. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm being totally honest, I don't. I mean, I know that, you know, if a team does want to send the bank or bring the bank or whatever, that, that would be hard to refuse. But how often do you have I, – I said this before. I mean, how you don't you don't want to have a top five pick very often. So when you right. have one, I feel like you need to use it. And you need to get one of those blue chip players that you're, you know, Jason Light has said that there's five players that he's in love with. Bruce Arians today said that there's six. Um, and so you're guaranteed to get one of those players um, at your current position. So, I mean, maybe there's a little bit of wiggle room between six and seven. Um, if you're considering that at least one quarterback is going to go and that a quarterback is not one of the top, you know, six prospects that the Bucks are looking at. Um, but I just don't see that a way for that to happen. Um, I don't know why the Jags would trade up or, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I, I really don't think that there is a line because I don't think I'd do it. All right. So the, the consensus of our guest, David, is they're closer to my line than yours. Oh, geez. Everything's a competition with you. Just saying. That's fair. No, I mean that's a, that's a fair opinion. I'm more. I'm. Uh, I'm definitely more of a riskier person when it comes to uh, pretending to trade draft picks. So. Um, <laughs> exactly. Pretending, <laughs> like I said before, I'm so glad I don't actually have to make these decisions. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot easier to sit on this end of the table and say what we would do because nobody can ever really hold us accountable for it. Exactly, and that's like that's what gets me on Twitter. I have to. I, I have to admit that I've had to rain in my twitter fingers a couple of times now where i'm just like guys like for all this the slack and the heat that jason light has been taking you know on twitter it's just i i'm like can you who can do better like yeah. you really think that you know as, as a person that you know is off the street that you could do a better job and i mean if you do i guess more power to you but like i said i mean this is not this is a very inexact science and it's a very hard thing to do and I just I I'm I'm so glad that I'm not the one that has to do this, but I also have full faith and trust and confidence in the staff that we have to do what's right for the best. Yeah, which is why you're uh, chilling in Florida like a sloth, right? <laughs> like exactly, exactly. <laughs> Listen, I'm really glad you know Casey brought that up because I'm like the, the world needs more sloths. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's a good way. I mean, that's a good approach to have about it. There's there's a lot of people on Twitter who need to have a similar approach about it. Um, so my last question uh, of the night, well, my last real question of the night, I have a, a more, I guess, laid back question later, but my last real question about business, I guess, to put it that way, is something that's not really being talked about a lot right now, which I'm a little bit surprised of, is Vernon Hargraves, at least not outside of Advent Health. It's not being talked about a lot. And his looming deadline well not his but the team's looming deadline to pick up or decline his fifth year option uh have you heard anything or do you have any insights into what might happen because that's coming up may 3rd i know there's plenty of time obviously but may 3rd is right around the corner yeah no i have not heard anything about you know as far as that goes i just know that obviously he's excited to be back and healthy and the coaching staff has a very you know planned out role for you know what he is going to do and again trying to play to his strength um so no i don't have any insight on any of that other than you know vernon's happy to be back and ready to go all right well the um the last 
I guess, question for me, because it's not it's not a majorly serious one, although some may take it that way, is, um, Carmen, what are you most excited about for this weekend? Is it the NFL draft or is it the battle for Winterfell? Oh, boy. Um, no, it's absolutely the NFL draft because I'm going to be a wreck on Sunday night because there's going to be this mass carnage of <laughs> characters that I love, and I'm going to be bawling my eyes out like, you know, the ridiculous person that I am. So especially because, like, this last episode set us up and, like, rekindled our love for so many characters. Like, oh, I remember why I like him so much and her so much mm-hmm. or whatever. And there's these beautiful moments, like Brienne getting her knighthood and all this wonderful stuff. And now, like, the more endeared I got to a character in the last episode, the more I was like, well, great. This person is absolutely going to die in the next episode. And I, I know I'm not excited for that. We all know this day was coming when I don't want it to happen. <laughs> when on the flip side, I really want the NFL draft to happen. So <laughs> I'm slowly more excited for the draft. Well, I, I promise I will not give you a hard time because as I told Trevor on yesterday's show, if Iron Man dies I in, in Endgame, I'm going to be a blubbering mess that will need some sort of professional counseling. It will happen. I have an unnatural emotional attachment to that character, especially Robert Downey Jr. as that character. So, yeah, Sunday Sunday's going to be rough for those of us that have followed this show from the jump. Oh, I'm not looking forward to it. I've talked to my boss too about it. My boss, Christy, who's our VP of digital. And we're all, we're both just like, I'm already, I already have anxiety about this. This is, <laughs> I'm dreading it. I'm dreading it. Whereas I wish the draft was tomorrow because I want it. I want, I just want to know. I want to know who, who, who are these guys that I get to hang out with. All right, Carmen. So my, my last real question for the night, uh, same thing, draft and, and game of Thrones. Uh, it's been a while since we've done bold predictions, so I need one bold prediction from oh. each from you. Oh boy! Um, I kind of already did the bold predictions for the draft because I a little bit. Would fall yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I'll give you. No, you know, I'll okay. give you credit for that if you don't have another one. No, I'm going on a different direction. Okay. Um, Roger Goodell is not going to get booed for our pick. Because uh, we have a Make-A-Wish kid coming out to make the announcement, and nobody can boo a Make-A-Wish kid. So Roger Goodell gets a break from the boos at pick number five. That's my bold prediction. I like it, but, and yeah. the pick is early <laughs> enough that the people in Nashville may not be so drunk that don't notice the Pick-A-Wish kid. don't notice that there's another child, that there's yeah. a, a 19-year-old <laughs> kid on the stage with Roger Goodell. Sure. Um, yeah. And then for Game of Thrones... I think it would be more bold for me to predict someone lives and dies at this point. <laughs> it might be. Yeah. Um, I am going to go so far as to say I'm going to say that Jamie Lannister lives. Um, because I think that he might die when he like faces. I think he has to face off with Cersei. Mm. And he might die then, but I don't think that this show is that ruthless that it's going to rob us of a showdown between Jamie and Cersei. That's, so, that's legit. I hope that's that happens. Prediction that Jamie Lannister will actually survive this. Okay. Yeah. I, I I like like that. Is the crypt not a hornet's nest waiting to happen? Dude, oh, it's, 
there were so many references to it being so like the safest place and i was like nope that's a hard pass nope not at all it's not going to be safe there's going to be something that happens also like i don't know this has, that this has any bearing i haven't like really fully digested this yet but like a crypt is where you bury bodies yeah so there's there, dead there's people dead people down there but like i also think that um i mean they like the night king and stuff would have to like like the the night the white walkers would have to get to them before i don't know but like could you imagine like liana stark becoming a white walker that'd be awful that would be pretty bad the whole thing would just be just be terrible but i think that's exactly how this is going to go down yeah Yeah, it's going to be glorious Longest longest battle scene in cinematic or television history. 80, yeah, 82 this, minutes of nonstop fighting, and it's going to be amazing. I was going to say, is that that's what it's going to be, isn't it? Like, yes. I'm, I'm going to be so stressed out. I'm going to need like a whole bottle of wine or something while I'm watching this. Just to well, play. as long as you're drinking it out of a glass that says, that's what I do, I drink and I know things. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, my my father in law has that shirt, and it makes me laugh every time I see it. <laughs> I drink and I know things. <laughs> so well, and and before we we sign out of here, David, you didn't ask me, but I'm going to give you my bold prediction. It's going to be a little sad, <laughs> but it's it's also going to be a little aw. Tormund, as he is dying, will essentially get a quote unquote goodbye kiss from the big lady. Brienne. Um, Brienne. See, I, well, maybe that'll happen and then she'll die because I'm convinced that Brienne's going to die in this episode. I, yeah, she's definitely dying. I don't think she, she dies like, in she this episode. Knighted. She just got I, knighted. Like, yeah. She's going she's gonna to die. It's perfect. It's die. set up perfectly for her to die. It's obvious, but it's got to happen. Ooh, is she going to die to protect Jamie? Because she does still oh, love <gasps> Jamie. Oh, we've cracked it now. <laughs> because yeah that's how jamie is going to survive is she's going to sacrifice herself because she's in love with jamie oh my god that's exactly what's going to happen ah. that's that's good i like it that's that's podcasting gold right there but, uh, yeah we had it first you heard it here first as i as i said to jc on monday all of this is for not because the most game of thrones thing ever is for cersei to end up with the throne when all is said and done Ugh. no it's it's would happening. It be, Just be, brace yourself. Would the White Walkers winning be worse? Would the no, it's, winning or it's going to be this unbelievable nonstop battle that costs all these lives just for John and Daenerys to come out victorious and rid the world of White Walkers just for Cersei to off them and get the throne. That is the most uh, Game of Thrones thing possible. Yeah. If yeah, Cersei okay. ends up sitting on the throne, I'm going to buy the entire collection on DVD and burn it. I'm going to be I'm going to become one of those people that burns something after I bought I it because nobody cares. That's just so that's, you are burning. You might as well just burn money. Burn I, I'm saying that's how illogically angry I will become, Carmen, if that ends All up right. happening. And I'm going to write All James's right. name on every single disc in the collection just because. All right, it's fine. Ah. Uh, All right. Well, Carmen, we certainly appreciate uh, a lot of your time tonight because this episode ran really (laughs) long. But, of course, our listeners will enjoy it for sure. 
um, what's what's happening over at Buccaneers.com, and where are you going to be on Thursday? Are you going to be at the official draft party? So I'm I'm trying to figure it out right now. So I have to be at the facility um, when once the draft starts. Uh, so I have to be inside the building, but um, I'm thinking of trying to make my way over to the stadium at the very beginning of the draft party um, to just check it out and, you know, meet up with fans and just talk to people and, you know, just have that whole experience. So we'll see if that ends up working out. We do have an early pick, obviously, so it might not, it might be too cutting it too close. Um, but yeah, so I'll be inside the facility, um, you know, anxiously waiting, you know, our pick and furiously typing up a couple of paragraphs when we get the word of who we've picked <laughs> and trying to get it out before uh, Roger Goodell announced it on stage. It's a really fun game we like to play. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll do that. Um, and then as far as what's coming up on, uh, on, on the site, there's just, I mean, we're, we've just kind of gone full force into the draft Um and yeah, I think that we're all just looking forward to a little bit of a breather afterwards. Um, but we're going to have some awesome stuff kind of coming down the pipe with uh, with you know the rookie mini camp and and then when you know the involuntary the mandatory mini camp um, you know getting started. So that's going to be a lot of fun is to get more football going. All right, and of course, all of you can check that out over at Buccaneers.com. Make sure you're following Carmen on Twitter at V. That's C-A-R-M-I-E, the letter V. Make sure you're checking out everything David and I are doing over at BucksNation.com. Send us your voicemails to 813-444-5841. Hope you all... Oh. Follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JRCO underscore Bucks, at DH82 underscore Bucks, and at Bucks underscore Nation. Today is National Administrative Professionals Day. So shout out to all of you administrative professionals. Hope you all have a safe, wonderful, and enjoyable day. And thanks so much for joining us right here at Locked On Bucks. So, uh, the bigger the bill, the harder you.